book of the Revelation. The book of the Revelation, there's a, in my Bible, I have an old school field Bible, of course, King James Bible, and of course we teach and preach and believe that the King James Bible is the inspired, inerrant, preserved, uh, infallible, any other adjective you want to put there, the Word of God, no question about it. <clears throat> but uh, Mr. Schofield, in the title, says the revelation of St. John the Divine. Well, uh, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ is who his revelation is. It's, it, was, it was his inspired revelation. And uh, the message this morning will be a little bit different, a little bit unique. <clears throat> and I want to share a, a truth with you that I believe will be a help to you. Revelation chapter 2, and if you'll stand with me, please, out of respect for the Word of God, and maybe give you a chance to stand and stretch as well. Revelation chapter number 2 and verse number 1 is where we'll begin. The Bible says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Now the word angel there, of course, is the messenger. A lot of people understand he's, he's talking to the pastor, the leader, the one who is to deliver the message to the church. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are, I'm sorry, and thou, how, and thou, how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, verse 3, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Verse 5, I want you to read verse 5 with me together out loud. Ready? Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. The title of this morning won't make sense to you just yet, but it will in just a few moments. The title of the message this morning is simply this, Try It Again for the First Time. Try it again for the first time. You say, Preacher, that doesn't make any sense. It'll make sense here in just a moment. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you'd help us as we open the Word of God. There's nothing like it in all the world. The most powerful thing in all the universe are the words of God. For it was the words of God that spoke this universe into existence thousands of years ago wasn't the big bang of evolution it was the big bang of the words of god nothing any more powerful than your words and father the fact that we have a copy of the never changing <clears throat> the infallible preserved eternal inspired words of god in our lap this morning is a wonderful testimony to your grace and goodness to us for the Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I pray that you'd help me this morning as I preach it. I'm certainly not worthy to preach it. And Father, certainly we're not worthy to receive it, but yet you made us worthy because you sent your Son, the living Word, to down a cross so that we could have eternal life. I pray that you'd help us during this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. <clears throat> I, I usually don't bring uh, object lessons or props, if you will, to the pulpit, but I'm going to change that for the message this morning. I brought something to help me preach the message, and uh, I'm not much of a breakfast eater, and sometimes I'm a late breakfast eater, and today I haven't eaten breakfast yet, but here's my breakfast, okay? So, uh, everybody see that right there? 
That's a breakfast of champions right there, okay? Corn flakes. <clears throat> Not frosted flakes, mind you, just plain old corn flakes. You say, preacher, what in the world does that have to do with the sermon this morning? You're about to find out. Years ago, <clears throat> there was a television commercial for Kellogg's Corn Flakes. I think it was 1988 when this ad campaign first came out. And the purpose of the ad campaign was simply this. There was a, a middle-aged man who was pouring milk into a bowl of cornflakes. And this middle-aged man said, <clears throat> he, he took a spoonful of those cornflakes, and he said, man, they're as good now as they were when I was a kid. He was probably in his 40s or 50s, I guess. And, and the slogan or the ad campaign, the motto, if you will, of this commercial was Kellogg's Cornflakes. Try them again for the first time. Try them again or taste them again or enjoy them again or relive them again for the first time. You know, the ad was directed toward getting adults who used to eat cornflakes as a kid to rediscover their love for cornflakes. It was such a productive ad campaign that uh, I was doing a little research, and Kellogg's ran that same ad campaign several years later in the 1990s, and then even into the 2000s, they ran again that same ad campaign. Same verbiage, same motto, same slogan, Kellogg's cornflakes. Try them again for the first time. You say, Pastor, that's all fine and good, but what in the world does that have to do with Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5? Well, let me share something with you. Understand, <clears throat> in that silly little ad campaign is reflected a wonderful Bible truth that's found in Revelation chapter 2. You see, letters were sent to seven different churches in Asia Minor at the end of the first century. These letters were messages from Jesus Christ himself, written by the hand of John the Beloved. And by the way, <clears throat> the Bible was written by holy men of old, the Bible says, but all of the Bible was inspired by God himself. Don't ever forget that. The Bible is not man's book. The Bible is God's book. The Bible is not merely just a collection of quaint sayings. It's not just, it's not just a collection of wonderful philosophies that were handed down by wise men through the ages. No, no. The Bible was written over a period of about four, uh, 15 to 1600 years <clears throat> and uh, by 40 different men, but all by the same author, the Holy Spirit of God, uh, directed every single movement, every single stroke of the pen or the quill. <clears throat> and I'm simply saying that book right there is inspired inspired by Almighty God. So John the Beloved was used by the Holy Spirit to write these words, and it was a message from Jesus Christ himself to these churches. In each of these letters, except for the last one, there was a pattern. And here's the way the pattern went. Jesus would compliment the good in that church. As we'll see in just a moment, the first letter was written to the church at Ephesus, and then another church, and another church, and another church, all the way down to Philadelphia and Laodicea. And the pattern was true in each of these letters, except for the church at Laodicea, because Jesus had nothing good to say to them. <laughs> but in every other letter, there was the pattern where Jesus would compliment the good in that church. And by the way, let me stop and say this. God sees good. You understand that? God sees good. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, 
beholding the evil and the good. God sees it all. He sees it all. And God saw the, the kind gesture that you did to someone this week. God saw that. Now, if, uh, if, there was, if there's unconfessed sin in your life this morning, God saw that as well. If there's something between you and the Lord, God knows it. And by the way, you know it. God knows it. If there's something between you and someone else, God knows that. If, there's a, if, there's some, uh, uh, if there was a, a curse word that escaped through your lips this week, God heard that. If there was something that you fastened your eyes upon this week that you shouldn't have looked at, God saw that. God saw that. If there was an unholy thought that crossed your mind that you dwelled upon this week, God understands that. God is well aware of that. Uh, God sees the evil... But he also sees the good. He sees the good. He saw the kind gesture. He heard the kind word to your spouse this week. God saw the areas that you were faithful uh, this week. And you say, well, preacher, no one else was there to see it. You know what? We live for him anyway. We live for him anyway. And if no one saw it, God saw it. God saw it. So Jesus would begin every letter by complimenting or commending the church and tell them all the good stuff that they did. And then he would follow that up by condemning the bad. He would tell them what they did, uh, what was wrong about their church. That's what he would say. He'd say, uh, uh, boy, here's some good things, and then here's some things you need to work on. Here's some excellent things that's going on in your church, and here's some things that you're coming up short in. <clears throat> and, uh, and so he pointed out where they were failing or falling short. And by the way, the Word of God is very good to us to bring correction. To bring correction. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, the Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction. God is very good to give us correction. Don't ever look, look at correction as being a bad thing. Correction is a good thing. It's all in how you take it. Don't ever look at correction uh, as, as something that is a negative. It's a, now, it may sting a little bit. We may have to swallow some pride. But God gives us his word. And part of the reason the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is to give us correction. To help us fix what's wrong. So Jesus began each letter by by complimenting the church and then by uh, condemning what was wrong. And then the last thing he would do would give a prescription to correct the problem. Boy, what a great idea. What if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, uh, tell me your symptoms. And you told him the symptoms and he said, hmm, okay. And uh, after listening carefully and maybe doing, uh, running some tests or doing some blood work or whatever, <clears throat> the doctor said, look, uh, uh, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so, we have determined that uh, from your situation, your case, that here's your problem. But the bad news is there is no cure for your problem. Now, that would be disheartening. And by the way, that happens. That happens. Not, not, not every sickness has a cure. And uh, medical technology hasn't, uh, hasn't found all of those yet, to be sure. But understand, that's a very frustrating thing when there's something that needs to be fixed, but there is no fix for it. There's no prescription for it. Well, Jesus was very gracious to all of these churches because he said to every one of them, here's what's right, here's what's wrong, and here's how you fix what is wrong. Now, <clears throat> you say, preacher, I'm still not sure what this has to do with cornflakes. Bear with me for just a minute. In his first letter to the church at Ephesus, Jesus tells them what is right, he tells them what is wrong, and he tells them how to fix that which is wrong. Look back at your Bible, if you will, Revelation chapter 2, and look at verse number 2. Jesus said this, I know thy works, 
and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and, how the, uh, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. He, he pointed out some wonderful things about this church. Look at what he said. He said uh, he compliments their labor. He said, you guys are a working church. There's a lot of things you're doing right. He said, man, you're to be commended on that. That's wonderful. He said he commended them for being patient. In fact, he says it twice. He commends them for their patience. And by the way, patience is, uh, is something that the early church endured a lot of because there was suffering involved. There was persecution involved. And the word patience there talks about the enduring of hard times. And so he not only commends them for their labor and commends them for their work, but he also commends them for being patient in trials, patient in sufferings. That's not all. He said uh, in that same verse, he commends their stand for pure doctrine. He said, and thou, uh, thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. I mean, this was a strong church. He said, you're a working church, you're a patient church through suffering. And then he said, you don't, you don't have any tolerance for those who try to spread false doctrine in your congregation. He said, that's a wonderful thing. He said, yeah, three cheers for the church at Ephesus. But he doesn't stop there. He then goes on to tell them what was wrong. He said, I have somewhat against thee. And that is the premise of the message this morning. The problem was, notice what it says in verse number four. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Thou hast left thy first love. You see, they were going through all the motions. They were saying all the right things. Uh, they, were, <clears throat> they were patient in suffering. They were tolerating some troublesome times in the church as far as being persecuted from without people who didn't understand Christianity, who were uh, perhaps, they, perhaps some were being imprisoned, perhaps some were being falsely accused, perhaps some uh, were going through some other kind of physical persecution. And this church at Ephesus, they were, man, two thumbs up because they were tolerating and enduring through all of that. But notice the problem. Their problem was they left their first love. They left their first love. Now, may I say this morning, <clears throat> they were doing all the right things, saying all the right things, but something was wrong on the inside. Yes. Something was wrong on the inside. Everything was right as far as the naked eye could perceive, and, and to the casual observer, you would say, wow, these folks are doing great, man. They're, they're, uh, uh, they're, they're busy, and they're working, and they're serving, and they're knocking on doors, and they're, they didn't run buses, but maybe they ran something else that uh, didn't have a, an engine in it that, uh, uh, that picked up people. For, I don't know. They were doing all the right things. They were teaching. They were instructing. They were enduring afflictions, and they were not being tolerant of false doctrine. But he said, something is wrong on the inside that's going to hurt you if you're not careful. He said, you left your first Love. May I say this morning, that can happen to anybody. That can happen to any church. It can happen to anybody within any church. You see, again, churches aren't buildings and properties. Churches are people. This church is a called-out assembly of baptized believers. That's what we are. That's what the Lake Crest, church is all about. Lake Crest Baptist Church is all about. You understand... <clears throat> The church as a whole can be healthy, but there can be people inside the church that exemplify some of these things. 
And so I want you to draw a circle around yourself this morning and ask yourself, have I lost my first love? Have I lost, I'm sorry, or left is the Bible term, have I left my first love? Now, don't think for a moment that I'm talking about losing your salvation because that's not possible. That's anti-scriptural. You don't lose your salvation. We believe in the eternal security of the believer. I am forever safe in Christ. The moment that I received Jesus as my own personal Savior, I was born into God's family, and I can no more become unborn from God's family as I can become unborn physically from my father and mother's family. It's not possible. Once saved, always saved. He did not say you have lost your first love and you've lost your salvation. That's not what he said. He said you have left your first love. There's, an emo, there's, a, there's a heart problem here. There's an inside problem here that he said needs to be dealt with. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. You see, Christian workers can, can leave their first love. Married couples can leave their first love. Sunday school teachers can leave their first love. Staff members can leave their first love. Any Christian in any walk, in any, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter uh, you know, how much Christian experience you have. It doesn't matter uh, what your uh, church resume is, impressive though it may be. Any one of us can leave that first love, that first love. Now, Jesus, being so gracious to these people, said, you know what? You can get it right again. And I'm glad that God gives us a recipe for getting things right, aren't you? I'm glad that God gives us a prescription. He doesn't just tell us what's wrong, but he tells us how to fix what's wrong. The title of the message is this again. Try it again for the first time. A little bit of an unusual message, uh, title for a message from Revelation chapter 2. Try it again for the first time. And here's the, here's the message. There's a, there's a three-pronged prescription to fixing the leaving of your first love. Let me share it with you. Look at verse number five with me. We read it out loud a while ago, and I want to direct your attention to it. Revelation chapter two, and look down at verse number five. Again, he's talking to these people who have left their first love. And he said in uh, verse five, he said, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou <clears throat> repent. There's a three-pronged three approach here to a Christian <clears throat> who has lost his first love. First of all, he said this, the word remember. Remember. The very, very first word in verse 5 is remember. He said, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. In other words, Think about how it used to be. Remember what it used to be like. How many of you, raise your hand and say, Pastor, I, I, maybe you don't remember the date per se, but preacher, I remember when I got saved. I remember where I was. I remember the circumstances. I remember the situation. I remember the environment. I remember the atmosphere. I remember, I remember so much. about. I, I, I remember the day that I got saved. And you should, by the way, if you're saved, all right. That's wonderful. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. Remember what it was like. Right after you trusted Christ. Remember what a great feeling that was? Now don't misunderstand me. You're not saved by feelings. You're saved by faith in Christ. You understand the facts of the gospel. You understand that man is a sinner and that uh, because we're sinners, we're under the condemnation of our sins and that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, paid for our sins in his death, burial, and resurrection uh, when he came to this earth 2,000 years ago. And the Bible says that I'm saved by grace through faith in what Jesus did for me and in nothing of what I can do for myself. That's how anybody gets saved. 
But you remember how you felt about it? Remember the load that was lifted off of your shoulders? Perhaps it, was, perhaps it was at a church service and you got up off your knees at the altar or somebody dealt with you on the front row. Someone opened the Bible and showed you the gospel for the first time and that spiritual light came on over your head and you said, Woo, man, this is the best thing in all the world. And by the way, it is the best thing in all the world. The greatest thing that happens to anybody is salvation. Salvation, full and free in Christ Jesus. But hey, do you remember it? Do you remember it? Do you remember how you felt? Hey, do you remember the load that was lifted? Do you remember how the, the excitement and the enthusiasm that overflowed your soul when you thought, whoa, man, this is wonderful. I'm a child of the king. And maybe you didn't understand all of the ins and outs of it. Maybe you didn't understand all the things that went along with it. And maybe there are some things in, about salvation that were kind of fuzzy to you. But you knew one thing. Once I was lost and now I'm found. Once I was blind and now I see. Once I was outside of, a, of the door of heaven but as we talked about in Sunday school hey Jesus is the door I just walked through there and here I am I'm saved now wow what a wonderful thing hey don't forget that don't forget that try it again for the first time I'm not saying you got to go back and get saved again because you don't have to get saved one time but you need to go back and relive that day often Hey, you need to go back. You need to go back and figure out what a joy it was and what a, what a thrill it was to know that your sins were forgiven and that heaven was your home and the Bible was your book and you didn't understand it at all. You looked at the book of Job and you said, hey, there's a, Bible, there's a book in the Bible about employment, job. Man, how, how cool is that? <laughs> it's Job, by the way. And, and you looked at, uh, uh, somebody could have told you, hey, turn over to Hezekiah chapter 3, and you would, have, you would have labored yourself to find the book of Hezekiah. It's not in there. But none of those things matter because, man, you were just thrilled to be saved. Thrilled to be saved. Don't forget it. You see, part of the, the prescription for people who have left their first love is to remember. Remember. Hey, married couple, remember what it was like the first time uh, when, you, when you stood at the wedding altar and you said, I do, and she said, I do, and then it was done. I like one old country preacher, how he performed wedding ceremonies. It was really, it was really precise and intricate. He said, want them? Yep. Want her? Yep. Got them. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it works. Want them, want them, got them. But you remember, you remember how you were just madly in love with each other? Now, you fellas, it, it, it happened. It really did. And uh, <clears throat> remember how much you loved each other and how, how fresh it was and how new it was and how awesome it was and how wonderful it was. But, you know, somehow as time passes, we lose that fervor, don't we? We lose the zeal. We lose the enthusiasm. Now, we can blame everything and anything for it, but the truth of the matter is we need to go back and relive some of these things. We need to go back and try it again for the first time, if you will. He said, remember, the first step in fixing what's wrong with us as a, as a Christian, with me as a husband, with you as a, 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 a in, in, in your relationships, whatever they may be, the first step is to go back and remember. Remember. Remember the way it used to be when things were fresh. Remember the way it used to be when you couldn't wait to read your Bible. 
You couldn't wait to get on your knees and spend time with the Lord in prayer. Remember the way it used to be when you couldn't wait to tell somebody else about how they could go to heaven. It wasn't drudgery. It wasn't, it wasn't duty, although it's duty, but it, wasn't, it didn't seem like that to you. Remember the first time you shared the gospel with somebody and how thrilling it was. I remember the first time I led someone to Christ. I was 12 years old. I was in the sixth grade, and I went to school, and, uh, and a buddy of mine were sitting down at lunch outside underneath a, a palm tree or somewhere in the tropics, and, uh, and so we did that every day. We went outside for lunch, and, and, uh, and for whatever reason, God gave me the grace and the boldness to take a Bible and show that young man how he could go to heaven. His name was Ralston Benjamin, and I, he, he prayed, and he trusted Christ. And man, if there's anything that could compare with me being saved, it was the fact that I was able to share it with somebody else and see them get saved. Amen. Boy, that was exciting. Man, that was thrilling. Man, I, I can't tell you the joy that filled my soul. You know what? Sometimes I need to go back and remember that. Because if I don't, I'll, I'll leave that freshness. That first love. Understand something. He said, remember. Remember what your, your relationship with the Lord used to be like? How fresh it was? Remember how you couldn't wait? Hey, when, uh, when, it was, when it was coming to church time, you'd sit there and you'd have your Bible open and you were attentive and there was nothing in your lap that shouldn't have been there as far as a distraction that would keep you from paying attention because, hey, this is the Word of God. This is, uh, it's not about who preaches, it's about the Word of God that's being preached and you couldn't wait to hear from God and you couldn't wait to hear the Sunday school lesson and you couldn't wait to, to, to grasp that truth that came across the pulpit. I'm simply saying, do you still feel that way? Do you still feel that way? You should. I should. Hey, I'll, let's just be honest about it. Sometimes we let these things slip. Remember, remember from whence thou art fallen, he said, the recipe for what was wrong with the church at Ephesus was simple. First of all, we need to remember. We need to remember. And then I want you to see something else. Look back at verse number five. He says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Now, he's talking to them as a corporate body, as a church family. This morning, <clears throat> we're applying this to you as an individual because, let's face it, individuals make up the church family. If every church member were just like me, what kind of church, member, what kind of church would my church be? That's a great question. If everybody was as faithful as I am, what kind of church would we have? Now, I, I ought to ask myself that question, and it's a great question for you to ask yourself. If every member of the Lake Crest Baptist Church were just like me, my faithfulness, my attitude, my prayer life, my Bible reading, <coughs> my, uh, uh, my uh, su support for the work of God, if every church member were just like me, what kind of church would our church be? He says, first of all, he said, remember from whence thou art fallen. He, you know, again, they were doing some good things, but they lost the heart for it. They were doing some wonderful deeds, Brother Dave. They were going after people. They were laboring. They were, uh, they, they, were, they were striving. They were working together for the furtherance of the gospel, no doubt. They were enduring hard times together. They were doing all these wonderful things, but they lost the heart for it. They lost the heart for it. And he said, remember when you used to have your heart in it? Remember when you used to have your heart in that Sunday school lesson, in that, in that class? Remember when your heart was in what you were doing? It wasn't just monotonous routine. It wasn't just machinery. It wasn't just, oh, let's get this over with. It's Sunday morning again. Let's go endure this. No, no. It was, hey, I get to serve God because I love him. Notice verse number five. 
He said, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, now notice this, and repent. Repent. So first of all, he said, remember, and then he said, repent. Well, what does the word repent mean? The word repent is a very simple word. It's sometimes misunderstood in the context of, of, uh, of, of, of Bible interpretation, but the word repent simply means this, a change of mind. A change of mind which results in change of actions. A change of mind, by the way, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Is that not what the Bible says? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. He said to this church at Ephesus, he said, I want you to remember what it was like. I want you to recapture that. He said, I want you to repent. It ought to, it ought to move you to action. It's what I, <clears throat> what's troubling sometimes is when you see the condition of our country, and there's a lot of people who can sit on radio talk shows and pontificate about what's wrong with our, America, uh, our country. And there's people who are much brighter and smarter than I'll ever be who can talk about all of the woes of our country. But at the end of the day, we've got to stop talking and start doing. At the end of the day, our, our look, talk's cheap. We can remember it and we can think back about what it was like, but hey, at some point, we need to get out a new bowl and pour some cornflakes in there, a fresh and a new, and say, hey, let's get this done. Let's repent. Let's repent. By the way, repent's a Bible term. Don't get scared of it. It's a Bible term. Repent. A change of mind that leads to a change of action to get something accomplished, hey, in our life, to get rid of the cold, dead, dry uh, 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 attitudes that we have about Christianity and get back to the first love. You say, preacher, what's the first love? It's not a what. It's a who. To who? It's Jesus. That's who it is. He said, you've lost, he said, you've, you've left your first love. He said, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. And by the way, Jesus never changes. If you're not close to Jesus this morning, it's not his fault. You with me this morning? It's not his fault. You're as close to Jesus this morning as you choose to be. I'm as close to Jesus this morning as I've chosen to be. Hey, if I neglect his word today and if I, ne if I neglect to pray today, it's not his fault, it's my fault. If I neglect to serve him today, it's not his fault, it's my. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, I am the Lord, I change not. He said, remember from whence you've fallen. You used to do this. You used to walk closely with me. You used to spend time in prayer. You used to do this and you used to do that. And he said, but the reason why you haven't is because there's a heart issue. The only remedy for a heart issue is repentance. Repentance. You see... We repent one time for salvation. It's not, you say, and, and there's a, there, and I don't want to get into a lot of theology per se as far as uh, squabbles of people who say that uh, to be saved, you've got to repent of all your sins and you've got to name them all one by one. I can't even think of all my sins one by one. No. The sin of the sin that sends anybody to hell is rejecting Jesus Christ. That's the one I've got to repent of. Hey, I let him clean up the inside. He starts cleaning up the outside. That's the way it's supposed to work. But what we're talking about here is a Christian who just gets kind of cold and indifferent. It's the child of God who just withdraws himself from Christ. 
We talked about the abundant life a little bit in Sunday school this morning where Jesus not only is the door to salvation, but he's also the door to the abundant life. And may I say this morning to you who are saved, and that's probably the vast majority of everyone in this room this morning, if you're saved, have you left your first love? You remember what it was like when you first got saved. You remember what it was like to be close to the Lord. What's the next step? Repent. Repent. Say, hey, you know what? I'm going back, Brother Moore. Hey, Brother Ray, I'm going back. Hey, Brother Fender, I'm going back to where things used to be. I'm going back to where that first love that I used to enjoy. Hey, he's been there all the time. He has been there all the time. Jesus said it to the church at Laodicea uh, later on in the book, uh, in the next chapter. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. <laughs> that verse wasn't written unsaved people. It was written saved people. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, he said, Hey, you folks in the church at Laodicea, let me in. I want to come in. I want to eat dinner with you. I want to fellowship with you. What about you this morning? Remember, repent. Last thing, verse 5 again, Revelation chapter 2, verse number 5. Look at it with me, if you will. He said, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. So we got remember, repent, and for the sake of alliteration, hey, restart. Or redo. Restart. Get a brand new start. Hey, you can't do anything about yesterday. Look, we can sit here and we can bemoan the fact of everything in our past that we haven't done right. And may I say, it won't change a thing. It will not change one event. Not one. You cannot change anything about the past, but there's a whole lot that you can do about the future, starting with your choices and your decisions right here and right now. And he said, remember the past, remember from whence thou art fallen, repent of it, change your mind, let it affect the change in action. And then he said, restart, do the first works. Well, you know, preacher, I, I used to do such and such and used to be so and so and used to have such and such walk with God. Do it again. <laughs> do it again. I'm glad God allows for restarts, don't you? Well, we'd be in a mess if he weren't. And I can, I can point to a whole heap of people in that book right there who would have been in a mess as well. Think about Jonah for a second. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, the second time. The second time. You know, if God had only given Jonah one chance, the whale would have never spit him out. <laughs> He'd have digested him. <laughs> Try that on for Sunday dinner on you. Anyway. He said, remember, repent, restart. You know what we ought to do? Go to when we were young in the Lord. The first time we partook of God's blessings. The first time we saw the light of salvation. The first time it dawned on us that I'm a child of the king. The first time it dawned on me that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and Jesus is my Savior and I love Him. Try it again for the first time. Try it again for the first time. I'm not saying you've got to get saved over again because you can't lose your salvation. That's not necessary. But we need to go back and recapture the thrill of knowing who Jesus is. 
Our heads are bowed. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Remember, repent, restart.